The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 244, for Monday, February 15th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Yes, John is right. This is Mac Geek Cab number 244. Uh What happened to 243, you might be wondering. And that is, uh, we recorded that at the show floor last Thursday. Uh, things have been a little crazy since. I want to go through the audio a little bit. Uh, you know, post-production isn't our thing. And, you know, this is actually a perfect proof as to why. Um, being at Macworld Expo, of course, adds complexities to, to everything, including, you know, scheduling. But uh, but the reality is going through the audio and, and it, it, don't expect miracles here, folks. This was recorded live on a stage. And uh, I just need to go through and cut some of it out and, and do that. And I simply and upload the file, of course, and I haven't done any of that yet. So 244 is here. It will go up uh, normally, as we always do, as soon as the show's over, at least the MP3 will. Then it'll get into the hands of Michael Johnston either later today or tomorrow morning. Number 243 will go up. And uh, so we're out of sync this one time. But hey, you know, once in five years, I'll, I think maybe we can ask for a pass humbly. Right. So how uh, how you doing, John? Good. Great flight back. I, I was blessed coming back. Oh, it was awesome. So first off, uh, SFO to um, MSP. I found some cool thing at MSP, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, yep. um, and then on to Bradley. But MSP. So I was, you know, I usually have stopovers about an hour or so. So I'm cruising around MSP. Um, you know, they have statues of Snoopy because I guess Charles Schultz was a born there. That, that was kind of neat. But then That's I'm walking cool. around and I see a thing that says observation deck. And I'm like. I'm looking at it, it looks like, you know, there's no card access or anything. It's like, gee, am I allowed to go up there? So I go up there, and it basically uh, gave me a full view of the Delta wing, which I was flying Delta on the way back. And I could see the tower, and I could see the National Guard there and the C-130s. And so I was just, just having a blast. taking. You know, I saw them, you know, they were de-icing one of the planes. So I was able to capture a whole bunch of pictures and not get anybody uh, yelling at me, which I've had once or twice at airports, and I, I still don't quite grok it. But one sure. time at Bradley... Somebody was, uh, I heard, sir, sir, I was taking a picture of a radar dish. It's like, what, what, what's wrong? It, it looks cool. You know, it's this big red thing spinning around. I thought it was a cool picture. So, cool. I don't know. I, I haven't been hassled too much. And then, um, so, so flight was good. Um, I could mention a few things here that, uh, you know, I caught. You know, I wrote about some of them, but a few things that I caught that I think uh, may be interesting. Yeah, let's, let's, we, you know, we, we talked about some of the stuff that we were going to see uh, to give it some context. The, Podcast 243 was recorded basically the moment the show floor opened to the public. Now, John and I had the opportunity to hit the show floor a little early. So there were some things we were able to talk about that we saw at the show. And we will do that. Or we did that, rather. But uh, but most of what happened at the show, of course, has happened since then. So this is our you know Macworld Expo wrap up here. And then, of course, we've got some of your questions and, and uh, tips and all that stuff. Uh, you know what? First, John, let's uh, let's talk about our first sponsor for the show. Sure. And that is Barebones Software at barebones.com. And uh, I love to talk about Barebones because I use so many of their products. Uh, today, I want to talk about Yojimbo. Yojimbo is an information organizer, a storehouse, if you will, uh, that's an intelligent. Well, not it's, it's a storehouse that you can use intelligently, right? It, uh, it's kind of a double-paned view. You've got one pane on the left that lists your collections and also your tags. 
And then on the right is the uh, is where the con. It's actually a three pane view, I should say. On the on the left is is your uh, like I said, your collections and your tags. And then uh, on the right, it's split into two halves. The top half lists everything in whatever you're looking at, be it all uh, of your stuff or filtered by whatever collection or tag you choose. And then uh, below that is your uh, the content. So very similar to the view that Apple's Mail has. And the cool part is you can store just about everything in here. Pictures, PDFs, text, of course, uh, inside the text. You know, it's it's totally rich text in, in Yojimbo. So you can store pictures within the text. You can store audio files. In fact, that's as I've said many times, that's how we you use uh, that's how we do the show. We use Yojimbo. We bake the audio files right into the agenda and I play them right from Yojimbo and uh, and it works great. So uh, very cool. Syncs with mobile me. Uh, you're able to everything you put into Yojimbo can sync and you can just see it on another Mac. It's uh, it's no problem at all. So this is Yojimbo from Barebones Software. Now it's at version 2.1. It's 39 bucks for an individual license, 69 for a family pack. And if you're a student or involved in the educational world, it's 29 bucks. So all that at barebones.com. Yojimbo. Uh, and from that, John, yeah, go, so go ahead. You, you saw a couple of things at the show. Maybe we'll bounce it back and forth a little bit here, but, but why don't you start? Yeah, yeah. a few things. Well, one, oh, we had a really nice dinner. The Jazz Bistro. I totally recommend it. As you know, we uh, and this was like <laughs> Mac Roundtable plus crowd. Yep. Um, and we have a lot of musicians in the crowd, and uh, especially Victor was like, oh, man, I don't believe I ever came. I never came to this place. And this guy was good. The one up there, the doctor, he, he actually stumped us with uh, the background on, on, a, on a classic piece of jazz. Or we're like, is he right about that? And yeah, he was right. Anyway, mm-hmm. excellent place. They got jazz. They got, you know, French, uh, you know, themed uh, cuisine and stuff. So a uh, great place to go if you love uh, live jazz and supporting uh, local musicians. So um, anyways, I saw a few things. Um, one, which was kind of neat, and I tried it. Um, some people have an issue with touch keyboards, like on the iPod Touch and the iPhone and, and coming up on the iPad if you don't get a keyboard. But this company came up with something that's called 4i Thumbs, for the letter I Thumbs, and it's a tactile uh, overlay for either the iPhone or I learned also the iPod Touch. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool. So they have one for landscape, one for portrait orientation, since the keyboard, of course, can go both ways. And it basically gives you little risers or little bumps between the keys and you know, I was, I was, uh, so I can touch type, and I was actually kind of impressed at how much quicker and accurate. It, it, and they say you get better with time, but it really helps. Um, really helps you, uh, I think, because uh, that's the the one thing I don't like about the touch keyboards. Uh, you don't have a frame of reference, especially for touch typist. You need tactile feedback to be accurate and know where the heck you are. So that's a neat little thing. Um, you know, we were we were talking about that in the press room, uh, John, and somebody pointed out. They said, "Yeah, you know, I think this is great." And I said, well, it sounds crazy to me. It, you know, it, um, I, you know, if you switch from portrait to landscape, you know, you got to peel the thing off the iPhone and put it, put the other one on. And he said, yeah, it's not for that. He said, but think about this. Think about it if you sit down and for 30 minutes, you, you want to, you know, triage and reply to email on your iPhone. He's like, that's where it is. And I thought, oh, okay, wait a minute. You know, that's something I don't do because it, it's just not, you know, it's just not functional enough to do that for me. I mean, I've done it sometimes, but it's it's not something I will choose to do or plan right. to do regularly. And and he said, yeah, that's it. And that's where something but, like this has made a difference. But here's the me. thing. No, the, the, the overlay itself does not stick to the screen. They right. have 
right. guides on either side, and then it slips in uh-huh. with tabs. Yeah. Yeah, if you had to, if you had to stick it on there, then yeah, that'd be stupid. I mean, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be a good idea. So these, uh, so you know, I think it was. I did a little blurb on it. You can look on MacObserver.com. Um, I think it's like twenty bucks for the the kit with both of the keyboards. So, right. Um, right. You know, if you're gonna be, you know, if you're gonna be doing a lot of typing on on your uh, iPod uh, Touch or um, or iPhone, um, check it out. Cool. Is it my turn now, John? Yeah, I think so. Right? Okay. All right. Uh, so the I've got a couple things from FastMac, and I'll I'll pick one. The first is they've got this USB wall socket. Now, neither of the things that I'm going to talk about from FastMac are available today. Uh, but the the idea is, you know, you've got your standard wall socket, right? Where you have you plug in your 120 volt, right, electrical, and it's got two plugs, one on top of the other. Well, what they did is they thought, gosh, you know. Look at the wall sockets we have. And a lot of times we'll have a couple of USB, uh, you know, AC power to USB adapters there. So we can charge our iPhones or our Blackberries or our Razors or our iPods or whatever. And wouldn't it be cool if we simply put USB ports there? So what they did is they left the two plugs in place and then sort of uh, between them on the sides, they put USB connectors you just get automatic USB power right out of the wall socket and it still leaves your plugs totally available and open to use. I, I can see this being perfect for use in uh, like the kitchen where you've got, you know, a, a plug that's up higher, maybe, you know, right next to a countertop kind of thing. You put one of those in there and you're uh, and you're good to go. So uh, absolutely the uh, the right thing. And uh but, you know, I, I, very cool. I think they're, you know, they're trying to get them into Home Depot and that sort of thing. And I think they probably will once they they've got to get UL approval because it is an electrical appliance uh, or electrical part. But uh, but it looks like that path is is doing well. I think it's going to be about 30 bucks when it comes out. So, nice. Yeah. OK, next one that I saw towards the end of the show. So one, they had um, somebody that you may have uh, <laughs> seen wandering around the show floor. Um, I called her tune up girl. Because she was wearing a red cape with lightning bolts on it, and was wearing a big dorky helmet and uh, with an antenna on it and stuff like that, and it got everybody's attention. I even put a picture of her up in my uh, TwitPic uh, feed. But anyways, tune up. So here's something cool. So normally, when you get music, um, be it from iTunes or rip it from your CDs that uses CDDB, um, you're going to have all the tags correct as far as you know the track number and the artist and the name of the song and stuff like that. But if for whatever reason um, you have music where the tags are not right your library can start turning into a real mess. So here's what TuneUp does. TuneUp has a number of features, but one, uh, but here's the most clever thing. So, so one function it has is to clean your library, and what it will do is use existing technology from a company called GraceNote, and it'll actually sample the audio and try to figure out what the song is. Now, it's not perfect. They claim about an 80 to 90% accuracy rate, but assuming it gets the data you're going to have a much, much nicer, more accurate-looking iTunes library. Um, and they have a fr- uh, one you can try it for free where you can do 100 song cleanups and, and also does uh, album covers. It'll search for that and also find extended ones for you. And then has uh, some other uh, uh, you know, music finding and uh, actually concert uh, connection features. Uh, and, and those are free. Um, and the pricing, depending on what you want, ranges from you know one-year license, because I guess you have to license the use of uh, GraceNote. Right, right. Um, uh, so one-year license, nineteen ninety-five. a lifetime license, twenty-nine ninety-five. So if you got, if your iTunes library is a mess, uh, check this out. It, it sounds pretty cool. Oh, that sounds awesome. 
I, 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 I missed that at the show. So, uh, the, the show was big. I mean, Those it, are one of the people you know. that were hidden away and, okay. uh, well, they didn't have a lot of material either. Uh, you know, it just mm. said tune up and I'm like, well, and they had, you know, the, the person in the cape and the helmet and at first I dismissed it. So I'm like, what are they trying to sell? But then when I right. talked to them in the last few moments, you know, they explained it to me very quickly, uh, what it does. So, and, and a few people tweeted back to me saying, boy, this thing really helped, you know, uh, make order of, uh, of chaos. So, Oh, that's cool. That's, oh, that's awesome. Uh, okay. So the second thing, uh, I want to mention from FastMac is what they call their IV plus. Okay. So it's an iPhone battery case. We've all seen these things. I think Mophie was probably the, the first company to, to pioneer it. And if they didn't pioneer it, they were certainly the most popular initially, but lots of people have these things where it's uh, a case that sort of, you know, uh, piggybacks onto your iPhone, your iPhone fits inside it. It's got a little dock connector at the bottom. So it makes your iPhone a little bit longer. Uh, but it, uh, it, Provides a charge. Okay. So that's where this one starts and it moves from there. So it's got a 1300 milliamp battery, which is uh, slightly larger than the one that's already in your iPhone. The iPhone starts at 1200 milliamps uh, and goes down over time. When I say starts, that's what I meant. So essentially doubles, you know, will recharge your iPhone and then some, depending on what else you do with it. The, uh, the case also has a light in it and they've got a camera app that uh, will essentially send out to the dock connector and, and say it's got a little LED and it'll say, yeah, flash the light when I'm taking a picture or if you're recording video, go ahead and turn the light on. So, you know, you've got, you've got some, some light that you can use for uh, photography and for video recording. It's also got a USB port on the bottom. Now it's got a mini USB port for charging it and also syncing your iPhone. So you can sync right through it. But uh but it's got another USB port on it for charging another device. So if you have something else, you can actually use the juice in this thing to go both directions. Finally, it's got an infrared port on it and it comes with an app that allows you to remote control your TV and all your other home stereo stuff that responds to infrared. The cool part is this remote software. It's a lot like the Logitech Harmony remote. So it's very uh, action based. So instead of, and, and you can, you can do both, but you can say, I want to control my DVD player and, you know, I want to press play and I want to turn it on or I want to turn it off. And then I want to control my TV and I want to do that. Or you can kind of script a macro and you can say, okay, look, I want to watch TV. Now that means I want my TV on and I want it to read the HDMI input from my TiVo. I want my TiVo on and I want it in, you know, go first, go to the list view and then I want my uh, receiver amplifier on and I want that in, you know, auxiliary mode because that's the mode that my TiVo plugs into. And it'll do all that and then present you with a remote screen and the remote screen is configurable. You can put it into uh, jiggly, jiggly iPhone uh, app mode, right? Like you like you do to move your apps around uh, on the home screen and it starts jiggling and you can uh, say, okay, well, I want the play button over here and I want this there and rearranged it and then lock it in and you're good to go. So again, as, as with the other thing from fast Mac, this is not out yet, um, which is why it wasn't able to win a TMO editor's choice award, but uh, it's very, very cool. And uh, hopefully we'll see it in the next uh, month or two. So that's the fast Mac IV plus, and they've got a whole line of these IV uh, battery iPhone cases. And, and this is the top of the line. I think it's going to be about a hundred bucks. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. And, um, 
one more thing, which is two things, but I'll make it one thing. So these are two different products that are based on a, a technology from a, a company called Denoto. What the base technology is, is it's uh, you get paper with a special pattern printed on it and then a pen that has a little camera in it. And it's also a traditional pen and then Bluetooth. And what it does uh, in its very basic mode is it'll take what you write on the pad and it will collect the data and then beam it off using Bluetooth to a computer. The end result is you have both an analog, a paper, and a digital copy of what you're doing. So that in of itself is pretty neat. But then there are people that built on top of it. And I saw two companies that built on top of it to make something unique. So one's called Paper Show. And what they have is in addition to the pad and the pen, is that so they send it over the computer, but rather than it just storing the document statically, is that it does it in real time. So you can be taking the pad of paper with the pen, passing it around um, so it's one pen to one pad of paper, at least currently, uh, that they may enhance that. And I think it would be neat if they did. But then also the application on the computer, it's been for the PC and now it is for the Mac and they were showing it for the Mac. Um, you can then put it on a computer. People can watch live and then, you know, you could imagine this. Maybe you want to share it using uh, various remote access technologies. So it's a really neat way. Um, and I think it fills a niche because there, there are people, of course, that do, you know, remote collaboration stuff that, that's purely digital. This kind of crosses the divide. So that's neat. Paper show. And then another one, and you and I both kind of peeked at them. We didn't have time to, to spend too much time with them. But then another company, LiveScribe. So they have a, a Noto pen. And it does, you know, the same thing. You can write and record digital. But then uh, it has a number of things that it does. So one is that it records audio. So what happens is while you're recording your document, you can record audio to go with it. And they told me about some really nice tutorials that people have done where you get the power of being able to write something and record it in real time and then somebody speaking to it. Right. They said that, you know, in the educational niche, uh, people really like it. Another thing it does that I thought was cool is that it does language translation. So, for example, we were writing there. We had it English to Spanish. And so we wrote, you know, beer and it would say cerveza, which cool. everybody loves beer, whether it be English <laughs> or Spanish. Or even uh, Chinese, you know, I had to do, uh, you know, write thank you. And it said, uh, and my Chinese is terrible, but, you know, it came out as, to what I understand, is uh, thank you in Chinese. So that's kind of cool, too. And they also had a music app where you draw a virtual keyboard and then you move the pen around and you can select, select instruments and, the, you know, the, the pen will play music. Really, really neat extension of the Anoto technology. So uh, that's LiveScribe. Yeah, so I actually, I spent a little bit of time with LiveScribe. And one of the, the things that... Uh, really impressed me was in addition to all that, they had these notebooks, right? And they had four different colored notebooks. I mean, the, the paper was essentially white, but uh, you know, the notebooks were color coded. So you could have a red one that you use for, you know, your, uh, I don't know, let's say you're a college student, right? So the red one that you use for your history class, the green one that you use for your math class, whatever. And they, uh, every page of every notebook has a micro dot pattern on it. Now it's very, it's a unique micro dot pattern for that notebook. So the cool part was you start writing and it immediately knows where you are, not only in what notebook, but where on the page. And then when it syncs back to your Mac, it syncs to that page in that notebook without you having to scan. Here's the line I'm on, you know, here's the notebook I'm in any of that. You just say, go, and uh, you start doing it and boom. And then, of course, the uh, the like you said, it's recording audio. So if you're taking notes, right, you could have it recording and you're taking notes. Now you go back, you're on your computer and you say, oh, where was you know, what was being said at the time that I recorded that note? 
and boom, it jumps to the middle of the audio file and starts playing it. And you can even do it on the pen. You can open up the notebook and point the pen to a specific word that you wrote in the notebook. And it says, yep, I know where we are. And uh, and it starts playing the audio right from there. So very, very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Anything else, John? From that's, Macro? Um, that's that's all I got. Of course, uh, as you mentioned, Dave, we're we're going to be uh, today. I think uh, our editor's choice award uh, article is going to come up with yep. choices from the uh, TMO staff, and you'll probably find a few a few little nuggets in there you like. Cool, cool. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's do our second sponsor here. And our second sponsor is GoToAssist Express from Citrix. Now, uh, the idea is that GoToAssist Express lets you connect to a remote computer with permission uh, and control the screen. Remote control from remote in a very easy firewall, um, a very easy package that allows you to get around the, the not get around, but with permission, go through the firewall very easily. Uh, you know, and if you're in, if you're in tech support, you do any kind of tech support, you know, one of the things that's a killer is all that drive time, right? Especially to solve a very quick problem. So something like this, man, you know, you're sitting at your desk and I, I, I did something very similar to this years ago. And, uh, when I had a bunch of clients down in Austin, I, I didn't have something like go to assist express. So I, it was a very tedious thing. I had to set up software on their computers ahead of time. It wasn't very easy for the user. Right now, uh, the way that it works, and John, you and I tried this. I logged into my, you know, I created my GoTo Assist Express account as the, you know, as the support person, right? And then I sent John a URL. That's it. And uh, you went to the URL, John. You clicked the link, and it opened up. It asked for your permission, and within what, maybe thirty seconds of me sending you the link. We had a connection open via your router, no problem, and I was able to control your screen, right? And mm-hmm. and then you and you were able to say, you know, you know, we could chat back and forth with a, a text chat, and if at any point you wanted to end my control, of course, you could. Uh, so you know, remote control, you can resolve issues faster. Uh, it, it it stops that whole operator game that can get very frustrating when you say, okay, tell me what you see, and I'll tell you what to press, and. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, John, but anytime I help anybody over the phone, they're always either not telling me everything they see because they simply don't know what, what to look for, what I would look for. And they're always pressing buttons before they're supposed to. Right. You know, I, I, I know I've talked to, to people and they're like, oh, and here's what's on the screen. It's like, well, why is that on the screen? You know, what about the you know, w- what what happened? Like, oh, well, I saw something. So I pressed OK. Well, why did you do that? I'm trying to help you here. So this avoids all of that. Go to Assist Express at gotoassist.com slash gab, uh, and you can try it for free for 30 days. So again, that's gotoassist.com slash gab. All right. Now it's time, John, I think, to move into our questions of the show. And let's start with, let's start with something interesting um, from Marion. Let's see. Uh, a friend of mine's iMac has been waking up randomly. I believe the problem lies within the magic mouse driver, which disables the ability to uncheck the allow Bluetooth devices to wake this computer option in Bluetooth system preferences. So my question is, if you have come across this issue or experienced it yourself, and if you have found a successful solution or workaround to resolve it, Marion then goes on to describe having seen this issue in some forums. Uh, 
But I'm going to stop it here because I think the the premise is wrong, but it, it leads to a different question that's that's very what, much worth answering. And that is for me, and I've got a magic mouse, and I believe you two do you you do too, John. Yep. I have the ability to uncheck the uh in the Bluetooth system preferences, I have the ability to uncheck allow Bluetooth devices to wake this computer, even though I have the Mighty Mouse, I'm uh, sorry, the Magic Mouse and all of its uh, software installed. And you do too, right, John? Likewise, that checkbox was available for me. I, I'm assuming, did, did, did they say it was on Snow Leopard? Um, they did not say what version of the OS they're on. Okay. Um, it could be different. I, I'm on Snow Leopard, and I think you, you did this on Snow, Snow Leopard as well. So on that both, machine, I am, yeah. That's so right. We were both able to uh, check that box. Now, of course, you and I, Dave, are both running as administrator. So, um, right. suggestion number one. Uh, so, that's a question for Marion. Um, I would guess if you're a guest account or a, a individual account, a non admin account, perhaps that's something that. Well, no, I guess it just grays it out rather than asking permission. So I don't know. I, I guess that would be one guess that, that you and I tossed around is that perhaps uh, Marion is not an administrator user. So right, Marion's friend, you. right? It's on the iMac, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I can't think of what else that would be. I mean, I guess it could be, and I, I'm leading you in here, John, of course, but it could mm -hmm. be a damaged preference file, right? I mean, it may be, although that wouldn't, it might be, it's. It never hurts. If you're if you're an admin and you still can't do this, even though you're authenticated, then the next thing would be to go and, and whack the pref file. And John, you you yeah. you 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 hunted it out. Uh, well, this is in one of the uh, normal, somewhat normal locations, but it's a, it's a subfolder. So in my case, it was in u slash users slash John Braun slash library slash preferences slash by host. Okay. Um, and there should always be a by host. Um, you know, for for some reason, some things they get tossed in there. Slash com dot apple dot bluetooth dot huge big hex number dot p list. Um, <laughs> it, it's some hex or, or GUID or something like that. It's a, it's a big okay. monstrously long thing, which I'm not going to read because it doesn't make any sense. It's sure. going to be different. So um, I think it's tied to the hardware address of the device um, okay. or the Bluetooth adapter. So okay. So um, I think that's what we uh, we got that's for it. well. Well, you know, there's some other workarounds. They're they're kind of you know caveman. Um. You know, turn the mouse off. Don't should go yeah, to no. Know, actually, the mouse does go go to sleep. Uh, uh, yeah, because I left it on accidentally and it hasn't drained the battery. So I, I think it. Ha I don't know if you can set that, but but I believe it has a timeout. It, well, like like all uh, wireless mice, when it's not detecting activity, it it goes into some sort of low power mode. I mean, I think it stays on so that it yeah. can detect activity and wake its lights up and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, but but. The Magic Mouse does have an on and off switch. So uh, that's a great idea. I would try turning it off and and then, you know, quit system preferences, turn it off. Wait till you look in the Bluetooth menu and you'll see, you know, the the instead of the B, you know, the, the Bluetooth B will have three dots across it when the Magic Mouse is connected and and all of that. Wait until those three dots go away and Bluetooth is just, you know, happily dormant. Then go back into system preferences and see, can I change that? If not... Well, it has nothing to do with the magic mouse. So, yeah, that's good. I like it. Moving on to Mark, John. Indeed. Okay, I'm going to try and read this question. It's a little bit confusing, but we'll, maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's confused. You said you didn't get confused. Anyway, Mark says, I have a Dynalink 
ADSL router connected to my airport extreme and base station that broadcasts a signal at five gigahertz. It's not the newer base station that has two radios. It's the base station with only one. Uh, what I want to know is what's the best way to set these up. Should my Dynalink be set as a bridge to the internet and then my base station is the router with the firewall or should it be the other way around? And can I use the Dynalink to broadcast a G signal for the iPhone at the same time as running the faster network on the N to my Mac? Hope this makes sense. Okay. I, I'm going to set this up a little bit, John, here, and then, and then I'll pass it off to you. So the idea is he's got an ADSL modem that has a router built into it and a wireless circuit built into it. And it sounds like I couldn't get a whole lot of data on it, but it sounds like that's a 2.4 gigahertz radio only. Then he's got an airport extreme that has one radio that can do either 2.4 gigahertz or five, but not both simultaneously. Uh, and he wants to use both 2.4 and five simultaneously with one uh, with one set of IP addresses, which is the right way to do it. So one of these things has to be in bridge mode. And uh, with that, John, I've teed, I've teed it up and, uh, and I'll get out of the way so that I don't get whacked by the, by the club. <laughs> and I'm going to take a swing here. Um, so his device, unlike mine, sir, for example, my cable modem is not a router. It's just whatever it is. Cables plugged into one part of it and, and then the uh, Ethernet cable. Um, but since his device is connected to, you know, the first thing that his ADSL line is connected to, and it has router capability. Um, my preference would be, if you have a device like that, would be to set that device up as your router and not the bridge. I don't think, it, I think you can do it either way, but but that would be my preference because I think that's the expectation um, especially if you need support on it, the, then I think whoever you're speaking to is going to assume that it's in router mode. Um, because if that's your only device, it has to be the router, right? Right. Right. That's right. Yes. Yes. That's so, right. So the way I would set it up um, would be to have that device act as the router and also that device hand out the G signal, the 2.4 gigahertz G signal. And then his airport extreme, I would set that up in bridge mode. And I would have that because you you really don't want to, although you can, I don't think you want to have two devices as routers because then things get uh, confused. Um, so I would set up the airport extreme in bridge mode and then have it on the N, um, the five gigahertz uh, N frequency. And I think that that makes a nice logical partition between the functionality of the devices as well as the function as well as the uh, the, the wireless. Yeah, I think I think that's wise. I, I, was there something to add, John, or should, am I ready to take it here? No, and he could. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's good that it, yeah, and I like separating the frequencies as well. I think he could certainly put them both on two point four, but then you have the the potential, uh, you know, for for uh, the interference. Right, right. Well, and and will go faster on five, I believe. Yes, I think it it can it can do some of that. And he said that, and he's hinting right. at that is that he wants to run the faster network. Right. Um, so, yeah, so the five gigahertz end, I think, is, is the fastest uh, you can go. Yeah, that's right. So, no, I, I think I think that's right. If if the. In general, you always want the first device to ha to be the router. Now, in this case, it's a little weird because the first device is also the device that you're connecting directly to your your, uh, 
you know, your ADSL line or your cable line or whatever it is. So you're kind of forced with their functionality. And if you don't like their functionality, if you don't like the capabilities or the way their router works, then you might want to turn it off. But in this case, because you want to use the wireless radio that's in it, you're pretty much forced to to say, OK, yeah, that's going to go ahead and be the main router. And then this other thing is just going to be a dummy pass through device. And that's that when we say put it in bridge mode, what we're saying is to the time capsule, don't do any or I'm sorry, not the time capsule, the airport extreme. What we're saying is don't get funny on us. Don't try to do anything smart. Just essentially connect the Ethernet connection that you're getting from wherever. And in this case, it's from the. DSL modem and router, take that ethernet connection and share it with the wireless. Just link the two with a pipe. That's it. And don't do anything funny. Just pass, let the data pass back and forth and whatever happens happens. And essentially that's, that's what it's doing. So that's what bridge mode does. Uh, yeah. Specifically where you go is in the, there's an internet tab uh, or an internet icon on the top of the screen. Yep. Then there's going to be a number of sub tabs. Internet connection is a sub tab, and then it's going to have so it's in kind of a weird place. And then there's going to be connection sharing. The okay. default is share a public IP address. Um, but there's also another choice where if you click on connection sharing, it's going to have a pull down, and there's going to be off in parentheses bridge mode. That's what you want. Got it. Cool. Uh, all right, moving to Jason. We uh, we got a. We got kind of a couple of iTunes questions, tips, and things, so we'll move into the iTunes section right now, John, and uh, we'll start with Jason. Hi, John and Dave. I've got an external drive with my iTunes library on it. It had two petitions, and I wanted to get rid of the petitions, so I cloned it to a different external drive, and what I've found is if that different external drive is online, even though it's got a different name, if I import something into the iTunes library, it goes onto the uh, the external backup drive, not the main drive. Um, is there any way of fixing that without reformatting the, the backup drive and then copying everything across using a backup app? Thanks. All right. Uh, John, you want to take this one? Or shall I, uh, shall I forge ahead? Um, I'll take this. I, I think okay. you and I pretty much came up with the same solution here. So yeah. there is a place that you can dig into in iTunes, which I think uh, will fix this uh, problem or reset things. Um, you got iTunes preferences, advanced, iTunes media folder location. Um, and I think what he wants to do is change it to something other than what it is and then back to where he wants and that'll reset the location of where iTunes uh, stores its uh, its content. And then in addition, I think just to keep everything uh, consistent, there are two checkboxes there, and I think we both recommend that he uh, keeps those checked. One is keep iTunes media folder organized, and then the other one is copy files to iTunes media folder when adding to library. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I would I would go with that. You know, that you may get there, Jason, and see that the iTunes media folder location lists exactly where you want it to go. Uh, but in, in this case, I think, you know, just like you said, John, change it to something else. Force it to look, you know, just just to, just to kind of clear out the preferences, change it to something else. Hit OK, then come back in, change it to where you want it to go. And hopefully that will, you know, that'll come around. Uh, it's it's odd, though, knowing how OS 10 
manages drives and basically looks for everything in the, you know, slash volume slash whatever folder for external drives. It's odd that it would be doing this, but, but perhaps, perhaps it was smart enough that when you renamed the drive, it renamed its preference. Uh, and you might get into the preferences folder and see that it's pointing to the, uh, the backup drive. So, uh, but either way, change it to something else, then change it back to, to where exactly you want it. And that should, uh, that should do it. Anything to add to that before we before we share this tip from Andrew? Nope. Okay. Let's go. So we have always been on a quest, and and uh, it's this holy grail. And I'll set this up a little bit. We have many of us, myself included, have lots of computers in the house. You know, more than one that all have iTunes on them, and we all have either the same or similar songs in our iTunes libraries. Like my wife and I would be perfectly happy to have one consolidated iTunes. And this is the Holy grail, one consolidated iTunes library that we both uh, can add to. We both can edit. So if one of us deletes, well, then the other is out of luck. Right. But, uh, but, but, you know, we would love to have that ability. And then we also want to be able to sync our iPods and phones with it. And that's where things get very tricky. Uh, There is no way to do this. Uh, so it stinks when my wife buys a CD and imports it, uh, you know, or grabs a CD out of our old collection that we haven't yet imported and imports it. Uh, it doesn't, you know, I don't get it on mine. And the same with hers. If you buy with the home, with the new home sharing thing, if you buy songs or, or applications or anything from iTunes uh, that it will, you can set up to share across, but it's again, it's not everything. It's only the stuff that you're buying from the iTunes store. So it gets very frustrating. And there is no holy grail here. There is no way of having an essentially like a network iTunes library that everything syncs with um, and, and not in a reliable way. And this is a stumbling block of apples. This is, you know, there, there really is no way for a third party to solve this. However, with that in mind, Andrew said, uh, after listening to podcast 241, I thought I'd mention this as an option rather than Tune Ranger. I have discovered a piece of software called Syncopation from Sonzea, S-O-N-Z-E-A dot com. And it does exactly what I and a lot of others have been asking. That is sync one iTunes library with many up to five computers running iTunes. There's an option to have a central iTunes library that will sync not only music, but podcasts, movies and TV. It syncs play counts, playlists, ratings, etc. And in my opinion, works very well. Okay, so. This still requires you to duplicate or triplicate or quadruplicate. Are those real words? I guess they are, right? Uh, the data. Now so what's and how they are. That's right. We've coined phrases here. Just stamping them out. Um, it re- requires you to have multiple copies of the same song that each computer can get to. But here now, at least we're getting into a realm of having a common library or a similar library uh, that's automatically managed. I haven't tried this out yet, but, but I checked it out and it looks, uh, looks pretty cool. So, you know, again, we're, we're heading, heading in the right direction, still love for Apple to solve this and perhaps someday soon they will. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the, the model that they're comfortable with and it certainly helps maximize revenue is one device to one library. Mm, multiple, seems multiple to devices to one library. I can have uh, six six right. iPods on my computer and I'll sync them to one library. Oh, oh, I haven't tried that. Oh, yeah. Works great. No, I, I, I still do. Yeah, I, I pretty much uh, associate one device to uh, to one machine or, or one library. So keeps it simple. 
Yeah, one multiple devices to one machine is cake. You can have separate settings. You know, I have a, a very specific set of things that that sync to my iPhone. A very spe- even more specific set that sync to my Shuffle, and then uh, you know a lot of stuff that syncs to my 160 gig iPod. Uh, and and it's huh. all very manageable with one iTunes library. The problem is if you know my wife wants to sync her iPhone to that when it's connected to her computer, mm. no go. You know. So do you have to be in manual mode then? No, not at all. Huh. No, it, you I'll, know, I'll have to try this again because last time I did that, if I hook up a, a different device, it'll say, whoa, whoa, I don't know who this device is. You want me to wipe everything out and start over? And yes, like, that's right. Because here's the thing. The computer manages. This is a good little tangent. I like this. So if the device has been synced with another, com- the device marries to one computer, but the computer will marry to multiple devices. Right. So it's like uh, uh, men in Utah. Right. It, you know, <laughs> not I don't want to uh, get political here. But anyway, you know, that's how it is. Right. I mean, it's it's you know, it, that's how the, that's how the, the concept works. So the the devices will only sync happily with one computer at a time. So if you've synced, let's say you have an iPod at, like an iPod Nano and you've synced that with your PowerBook or your MacBook. Now you want to sync it with your desktop machine and you plug it in. The machine's going to say, hey, I've never seen this device before. What, you know, do, do you and it and it's telling me that it syncs with another computer. If you sync it with me, I'm going to wipe out everything on it and we're going to start from scratch and I'm going to populate it with my data. So it won't take the data from the device, but it will overwrite that data and then and then it will sort of be the the master of that right and and from that point forward all your settings for that device stay on that computer and whatever you know the only time you can edit settings for what syncs to a device is when the device is plugged in anyway which i think is also stupid um but it's how it works so yeah when you plug the device in it remembers and and here's the cool part and i always wind up doing this before i travel because i don't sync my ipod a whole lot but you can sync multiple devices at once. I had three devices connected via USB to my computer before I left for Macworld, all of them syncing simultaneously. Um, you know, it wasn't fast because they were all syncing to the same iTunes library, which is on one little external slow hard drive. But uh, but it worked. And, and, you know, iTunes managed the process fine. You just had all those devices appearing at once and the little spinny, spinny icons going. So, All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna get. Yeah. Because I think I have a couple extra iPods kicking around. I'll try that. I. I never tried it just because I got that scary message. But that's mm-hmm. because I'm married. Yeah. I was trying to take a device that was married to one machine and try to marry it to another. Right. Yeah, and just be aware that you're okay. going to lose whatever's on it. You know. Right. right, right. Yeah. Or it's going to be deleted from it. If it's also on another device or computer, it's not going to wipe out from there. You know, you won't. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what Sanuti and other things are for, right? Correct. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Sanuti being a program that takes it to, to add the tangent to the tangent takes the data. It's iTunes backwards, S E N U T I. And it takes the data that's on an iPod or iPhone and slurps it back into your Mac. And I believe they have a windows version too, but uh, certainly mm-hmm. Mac version. So, all right. And then a follow up on, uh, on an iTunes issue that, or an iTunes thing that we were talking about in a recent show from Jim. Hi, John and Dave. My name is Jim, and I'm in Buffalo, New York. In show 242, you had a question from the caller about uh, trimming a uh, podcast episode. And I just wanted to point out that in iTunes, if you use the convert to uh, another file type command, it's under the advanced menu while you've got a uh, 
any any audio file selected in iTunes and there is a start and stop time specified, it will uh, actually trim the new version down to that exact time. So if you've got like a one-hour podcast and you set the start time at 15 minutes and the stop time at 45 minutes and then choose the convert to AAC or convert to MP3 or whatever the import settings are set to, you will then end up with a half-hour episode in there. Unfortunately, it will not leave it in the podcast uh, feed listed there, but the new version, which will appear in just under the music area, will have all the same tags that the original podcast had. So that's kind of a plus there over doing it in an external editor. Uh, that's all. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. And uh, yeah, that's good to know. So you can actually crop the, the, the stuff and, and that would work with songs too. You know, if you have some piece of audio where you, you want to only hear a part of it, but you don't want to destroy the original. You could set a start and stop time on the original, re-encode it, have it slurp that out. Of course, if you want to re-encode it without, uh, if you want to get a chunk of it without having to re-encode and, of course, recompress it, uh, you could use a Rogue Amoeba's Fission. Uh, somebody was twittering me about this today. Very, very cool. It will take, it'll, it'll let you edit and chunk apart MP3s without... Uh, Without re reencoding them, it's like magic. I don't know. I don't know how they do that stuff. <laughs> it's it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, how, how, what do you mean? The, the the you know a compressed file is kind of a one. It's it's one thing. How do you how do you do that? I don't know. It's magic. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Ezra has a question. It's a good question. Hey guys, it's Ezra from Los Angeles. My question is, if I'm attaching this to an email. Why would I have to give you my email address in the message so that you would have to cut me off? Thanks. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, I had paused it for a second because Ezra started stuttering a little bit. I, I want to talk this through, John, and then we will answer Ezra's question, but, but this is a, a worthy tangent. So uh, speaking of rogue amoeba software, we use audio hijack pro to record the show. And we have had, since we moved to Intel, We've had this issue and I want to talk this through now because it's in my head and I, I need to get this logged somewhere. But but perhaps you folks can uh, any of you that, you know, listen to this discussion might might help us out, John. And and I know you're you're not an audio guy, but but uh, you might have you, somebody else is going to come up with the answer and, and it might just be you. I make plenty of audio. Come on. I know. Yeah. So the thing is. We get this stutter thing and, and it happens when we introduce more interrupts to the process. And by interrupts, I mean hardware doing something. So we just played an audio comment and that read audio from the hard drive. Right. Uh, and and so that introduced some interrupts and boom, that's when this issue happens. And of course, it's not consistent, as you all well know. But what was weird is before we recorded this show, I went into Audio Hijack and it allows me to set a buffer for both input and output. And the one that I edited was the input buffer on the overall stream. So essentially I have everything going out of the computer into a mixing board. Uh, and then the computer is capturing the data from that mixing board via firewire and recording it. So on that capture, I have, uh, I increased the input buffer. It was at 256 in audio hijack. I set it to 512. I left the output buffer alone and I think the output buffer is at 2048. 
Right. And these are milliseconds. So it, it's increased to a half a second. What was weird is when it started stuttering for Ezra here, it didn't stutter as much as we've heard in the past, which I attribute to the input buffer being higher. But what I also noticed was, you know, I hit pause on the recording because I didn't want to, you know, that's what happens when I hear this stuttering. I get to a point where I can hit pause and I hit it and just let it sort of catch up with itself. And it usually takes what maybe John somewhere between five and 15 seconds. And then we're ready to go again. But this time as it was catching up with itself and I have to keep talking or John has to talk so that we hear the stuttering and I can hear when it stops. And this time I was hearing an echo of myself as opposed to just a stutter. I was hearing an echo of myself and then it felt like that echo got shorter and shorter and shorter until it was down to where it normally is. Now, when I say that, because we have that little buffer in there, I'm actually hearing myself on an echo and I'm hearing John on a delay as well. A little weird, but you, you get used to it and I actually kind of like it now. Um, but yeah, it was very strange that I heard that echo. It got longer and then it shortened itself down and it was sort of stuttering a little bit as it did that. But, uh, but very interesting. So now I've, I've put all the, uh, all the data points out there and, and they are on the record as it were. So I can share that with rogue amoeba and, of course, I've shared it with all of you, so we'll we'll see if we can't crowdsource this solution here. I still think you got to upgrade the OS on one of the machines that uh, you store things on, because you know, actually, I am um, uh, one of the other other vendors that that, that we spoke to, uh, Smalltree. They make these um, fiber channel over Ethernet, uh, Womp and huge disk arrays. Okay, and we actually got in a discussion that was touching on this: is that um, as as a storage technology advances, the expectations of the hardware driver that deals with the interrupts and all that stuff there. Um, may not be able to keep up with devices that weren't necessarily around when the drivers were written. And especially with the, the, these guys make these screaming fast arrays and, and, and their uh, you know, chief technical guy who is, who's frighteningly knowledgeable about... Uh, I mean, I, I have a, a, some feel for interrupt you know, things. Sure. I've, I've written them before, but he was... I mean, he, 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 he breathes this, this stuff. And, okay. and he was telling me this. He's like, you know... We've had cases where, you know, eSATA drivers, uh, you know, or, or whatever drivers, hardware drivers couldn't keep up because our devices go so much beyond what was available when the driver or tested with the driver when it was written. So, um, huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It, you know, so the, the history of this, just to add it to anyone uh, who cares is I used to have this almost exact same setup. In fact, it was the exact same setup, but connected to a G5 iMac running Leopard. As soon as we put the Intel iMac in here, again, in theory, faster, but different motherboard, different architecture. Uh, as soon as we put that in here is when we started having these problems. Now, I am still on Leopard 10.5 on this machine. It's up to date and all that stuff. But I had specifically not upgraded it for two reasons. One, uh, the podcast thing was working. I mean, we get this this interrupt thing happens occasionally, but but we'll go months without having an issue. And then we'll have like two or three shows where we have an issue and then it just goes away. Uh, so it worked. And when snow leopard came out, there were some audio driver issues and that sort of thing. And I didn't want to monkey with it. And the other issue was this machine runs QuickBooks uh, when Lisa's up here working a couple days a week. And that was also an issue. QuickBooks now runs on snow leopard, just fine. And, uh, and obviously it's been out for a while, so I'm, I'm comfortable uh, from an audio standpoint, moving this up. But uh, and maybe maybe there is, you know, obviously there's, you know, new drivers written for Snow Leopard. So maybe that's the magic answer. Maybe that's mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's all it'll take. 
So I will endeavor to do that between. That's my advice. And... The, the, I'll give that one to you for free. That's oh, thanks, John. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> uh, so Ezra's question, however, was a worthy question. It seems very obvious. If you're going to email us a, an audio comment, we have your email address, right? And, and you're absolutely right. You don't need to put it in. Um, where that started was uh, when people are calling in over the phone. We don't have uh, your contact information. We actually, you know, we could maybe try and figure it out based on who you say you are, if you've emailed before, but certainly much, much easier uh, if you simply add it to the end. And we have no problem cutting you off, uh, as you've all been, been made aware. But feel free to keep doing it, even if you're emailing it in. There is the occasion where we'll bake a question into a show and play it and then say, gosh, I, you know, well, John and I, you know, you and I have some discussion and we'll say, yep, uh, you know, uh, maybe we need more information on this. And instead of waiting for you to hear the show, we'll actually go back and email you afterwards. And in, it's in those cases where I will go and listen to the end of the comment because it's right there in front of me instead of digging back in through the email archive and trying to figure out, OK, you know, which Tom was it? that wrote this through. Well, yeah, well, I had that so, happen with Ken. Remember yeah. the, the question Ken had? Uh, yeah. and, and I was listening for his email because I wanted to write him immediately and say, look, I figured it out. And eventually, you know, I found the email buried in all the other emails or right. you know who it was because he's a, he's a frequent uh, listener and contributor. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, so it doesn't hurt if you got a few extra seconds. You yeah. know, Dave's pretty quick on the, uh, on the kill switch, so. Yeah, worst come, you know, if I'm not quick enough on the kill switch, I will go back and edit it out. So, you know, you you don't have to worry about your email address going. I know I say we don't do any post-production, but that's important to me and, and to John, too. You know, that we're not just here, you know, randomly spilling your email address out. You know, we've got a good bunch of listeners. My guess is, you know, you could say your email. We could let every one of those go through and uh, nobody would randomly email. In fact, you might get an email from a listener saying, hey, man, I know the answer. But I don't think you'd get any spam. I really don't. But uh, but anyway, for your privacy, we'll do it. If you if you but if you do want your email address shared on the show in case somebody has an answer, that's fine. Uh, what I would ask, though, is if we're going to head down that path, please also CC us so that, you know, if you send an email and say, you know, hey, Tom, I, I know the answer to your question. I heard it on the Geek Gab. Here you go. And I know you said you'd it'd be OK if a listener emailed you. Here you go. CC feedback at MacGeekGab.com because that way. Uh, we also can then share the answer with the rest of the listener base. Uh, so there you go. You got anything? Oh, you, you know, I did say feedback at MacGeekGab.com, John. Speaking of how you would want to get in touch with us, Dave. That's right. Because we were speaking of it. Yep. And, and I think you mentioned the first way is that you would send an email, either an email itself or with an audio attachment to, uh, I, I believe you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com, Dave. That's what I said. And if you're a premium subscriber, feel free to send to premium at MacGeekGab.com so we know uh, where we can put that stuff. Uh, 206-666-GEEK, which is? I forgot. Oh, 4335. <laughs> How could you forget? <laughs> it's been five years. I, I dream about it. I know. Uh, you can see the show notes that John prepares at MacGeekGab.com. You can Skype to MacGeekGab, and I guarantee you it works, because Jim's comment from earlier in the show came via Skype. One note here that someone, someone brought up, if you do go to MacGeekGab.com, um, well, depending on which of our pages you go to, you may see, because uh, um, we do have a page that just shows the free episodes, and I think that someone wrote in and said, 
what happened to this episode? I see mm. a gap in your episodes. Now, sometimes it's due to, for example, this one time here, it was a live show and, and the post-production required that it comes after. Yeah. But um, if you go to the, the, we do have a page that just shows the sponsored free editions. You will notice gaps. It's not because they're missing. It's because they are premium. And we decided not to start a different numbering scheme because then I think it, that, that that would just be bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's where that goes. Right. The main Mackie Gap page will show both the free and and the episodes in the uh, correct numbering. Yep, it'll show regular and premium, and uh, and then you go from there. That's right. All right, uh, where are we on time? Uh, hmm. hmm. I don't know. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's go to let's jump to Mark here. I think it's I think we got time for one more. John. Ooh. All right. Are you okay with that? Yeah. No, I like this one. Okay. I, I... All right. Here we go. Hey, John and Dave, this is Mark. Um, I call you with great apprehension because I never want to waste anybody's time. Never always. Uh, but I've been trying to find an, uh, an answer to this question for a while and haven't had any luck um, looking out on the Internet. So I was hoping you might be able to point me in the right direction. Um, I was looking, I was hoping that um, you might be able to tell me how I could use a hotkey um, or key sequence to uh, pull down a list of recently used documents. I know that I can use the mouse and I can click on the little apple um, in the upper left-hand corner and I can get to the recently used documents list. Um, but as far as I know, there's no hotkey uh, that I could use. And I guess maybe the second part of the question is if there's an application um, uh, or utility that, again, I could use a hotkey sequence where I could maybe even do some advanced sorts of sorting features where I could group the most recently used documents by application type, for example, um, or other advanced sorting features. Again, thank you very much, and this is where you cut me off. All right, and I cut him off. And here we go. And I was like, dude, this is so easy. Hasn't he listened to an earlier show? So... What you can do is that in Snow Leopard and, and perhaps prior versions, there's a place you can go. You can go to and I just actually I didn't do it from the Apple menu. I did it in Text Edit, which also has a recent items um, menu. And you'll see a, a lot of menus are like this. It says recent items has a little triangle, and then you know if you click on it, it will expand out to you know recently accessed items. I'm like that's easy. So I opened Text Edit and I went into Text Edit and I defined. You, you can define a keyboard um, shortcut. You go to System Preferences, Keyboard, Keyboard Shortcut. You can then add one for a specific application. And if you want to add one for something that already exists as a menu item, um, you basically type in the name of that menu item, make sure to get it exactly right, um, and then type in whatever shortcut you want and make sure it's not one, because I think it'll let you define one that already exists, so be careful that you pick something that's unique. And so I did that, and then I looked again at text that it clicked on the menu, and my shortcut was there. I think I did option zero, or just something wacky that I figured wouldn't be accessed. And I'm like, I figured it out. And then I held down option zero. Nothing happened. Ah. And here's the problem. And then I'm like, what? It doesn't work with these two-level menus? Well, no, you can do this, because if you look... Well, actually, I didn't try this, but I suspect you can, because if you look at menu items that are under these you know, two-level menus, two-level deep menus... Those also have uh, shortcuts associated with them as well. Here's the problem, though, is that those are fixed known items. The problem is um, recent items are always changing. So you can't map a keyboard shortcut because the items will disappear at some point. So as far as I can tell, keyboard shortcuts does not work with, this, with, um, with that type of content because it's, it's all, or at least it doesn't bring up the first level 
menu. Um, it sounds like you can bring up the second level choices if you if you map it. And I've seen that in, in a lot of the second level menus. Um, you will see keyboard shortcuts. So I thought I knew the answer, and I didn't. So you know what that means, Dave? You got caught? No. Oh. <laughs> it means we have to make this into, and maybe you want to reverb it. That's right. That's right. Hang on. Hang on. Let's get the... Uh, we go to more, more, more... A geek challenge. All right, you know it's just not. I'm, I'm not sure the effect is really worth it. I got to hit all the right buttons and yeah. yeah. Really, we need like a low end kind of thing to that reverb. I don't know why. I, uh, it's just a little outboard ART FX1 that I use for our outboard reverb. Yeah, and uh, one more quick one. Uh, you know, no, actually, I don't want to do one more quick one because. I want to. Uh, I oh, want to, you got some. Yeah, yeah, I have a, a two things actually travel related. One is that I've always sort of lived with crummy hotel bandwidth, right? Uh, and and this time in MacWorld Expo, you know, we, we were at the Milano again, and we've worked with them many times, and the bandwidth there has always been. Now I'm not talking about. Uh, you know, the accessibility of the bandwidth, right? Some hotels have a wired ethernet connection in the room. Others have Wi-Fi access points. And when they do have Wi-Fi access points, getting a room near the access point versus a room far away from the access point changes your experience entirely. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about that. What I am going to talk about is the overall pipe that's coming in to, or, you know, out of the hotel and many hotels. I've always just sort of accepted Hotels always have pipes that are woefully uh, slow, woefully underpowered for the the cape, you know, for the possibility that everybody would be in their room using the Internet. And, you know, the issue is, I think, you know, all these hotels jumped on the bandwagon many, many years ago when all you wanted to do was check your email and, and view the Web. And pretty much that's all we want to do now, except that viewing the Web means video and you know all these things that you know with 32k worth of bandwidth ain't really gonna cut it you know uh greg greg snyder our you know vp of sales at backbeat media has always said you know his litmus test is to load up the new york times website and see video and if he can't see that without all sorts of buffering and lag then that's you know then it's not working right and i think that's a pretty reasonable assumption that, that you should be able to do that. But we all know that when you go to a hotel, you're not ever going to be able to do that. Well, that may not be true. And uh, I'm curious for any of you that have been to uh, Macworld Expo this past year. And I asked on Twitter today, you know, what what were your experiences like? What was your bandwidth experience like? Because I'm trying to figure out which hotels have good bandwidth and which don't. Uh, this year at the Milano, their bandwidth was wasn't cutting it and it had nothing. I had a room. I I've been there enough. They know me. I email them ahead of time and I say, get me a room near the access point. In fact, I often even them, give them, give them a room number and they say, fine, we'll, we'll hold that for you. You know, great. And I had that room, one of those rooms this time and I had great wireless access. You know, I could always ping the router, never an issue, but the, the pipe in and out was just, it was, it was over, oversaturated, way, way oversaturated. Uh, that has not for me been the case in the past, but I think again, you know, as, as people, you know, people 
go to a, a conference, but they don't think about, oh, yeah, I'll just leave iTunes open. And if they've got some TV show they're subscribed to or podcasts or whatever, all this stuff just starts downloading in the background or software updates. Right. Yep. Just slurp it down. I don't care. You know, and it's stuff that if people thought about it, they'd say, oh, yeah, I don't need to do this here. And, yeah, you know, I'll let somebody else have the bandwidth. But they don't think about that. And they shouldn't have to think about that. That's uh, not their job. You know, there's things you can do with routers in hotels to make it better and say, look, no, I'm going to compartmentalize the bandwidth. And, you know, you're only going to get, you know, X amount uh, of speed at any one point in time per connection. And that way we can share it around. But in general, the hotel just needs to have a fatter pipe. Uh, so uh, I got when I got back, I asked on Twitter this morning and I want to hear your thoughts, too. But uh there are many hotels and a couple, I'm not going to say many, I, I, you know, I asked people how they did some hotels. It was like, Oh, terrible. Some would like the Milano where it was like, yeah, usable, but mm, you know, really not that great. And then some were, Oh yeah, no problem. I was uploading and downloading and never even thought about it. And the hotel was full of people. So it was great. So uh, we will, we will publish this and, and we will endeavor to work with a hotel in the future that has good Wi-Fi, And if that's if or bandwidth rather, and if that's the, the Milano, that's great. And if it's somewhere else, that's great, too, because it's important to us. And I know it's important to all of you. So, uh, so, I, you know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I travel, I always, if given a choice and they have wired and wireless, I bring my own Airport Express and sure. I plug into the wired because um, I think given the choice between the two, you will probably always get better performance out of the wired. At least that's well, been my experience. Yeah. You will probably get at least acceptable performance out of the wireless unless it's not set up right or, or it's right. just getting dogpiled. But um, I've never had issues assuming that it works. Now, I've been in a hotel sometimes where, you know, somebody unplugged the, the wired thing from the router or something and it was dead. But if it's alive, I've always had uh, and I have my own, you know, private access point. Um, that's the way I prefer to do it. But, yeah, but, not but, but don't have wired. I don't assume that just because, you know, when you're calling a hotel. Don't assume that because they say I've got wired in the room that you're going to have good bandwidth, right? Because right, I've right. because I've seen it. You know, you definitely get a better reliable connection to the router. No question about it. You know, I mean, it, sometimes the wireless is going to be totally fine. But other times, you know, if you're at the fringe of the range or if it's overloaded, you won't get to even get a connection. But none of that matters if the hotel itself doesn't have enough bandwidth coming in and out. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, so you could have a wired connection, solid, great, and never get a thing yeah. through. Yeah. Well, if they're running a T1 or a modem or a yeah. 56K link or something, <laughs> then yeah, it's a, yeah, it's which not I suspect matter. some of them is, that's what they're doing. Feels like it. Yeah. Somebody was saying, uh, a couple of people tweeted back at me, you know, that the Westin, uh, it was, was that way this year. You know, it felt like they had a 1200 baud modem connection that they were sharing. So, uh, while we're on the subject of travel, I have a travel tip that I wanted to share after CES. I forgot I wanted to share it at, uh, at our live show, which was show 243, uh, and I forgot. And so I want to share it here. And that is, you know, John, when you get on the airplane, you've got whatever, you're, you know, whatever your carry-on is. And in that carry-on, you've got a couple things that you're going to use on the plane. You know, your headphones, your, your book, your Kindle uh, maybe a, an iPod or, you know, whatever all that stuff is, you know, maybe you want eye drops with you or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do in the past is I would 
store all that stuff in, you know, I'd, I'd have like one pocket of my laptop and I'd make sure my laptop bag or whatever my carry on was. And I'd make sure all that stuff was in the same spot. So when I got to my seat, I could go in, I could grab each thing, throw it quickly on my seat and then toss the, the stuff in the overhead. I don't usually keep my bag with me at my feet because I don't use my laptop in flight uh, very often. And uh, so, you know, I just want these other things and then I want the room around me. I'm a tall guy. I want my leg room. So throw the carry on overhead and, and I'm good to go. Unless I have two and then I do keep it at my feet because I like to be conscientious that way. Uh, and then it hit me when I was doing my CES trip. Wait a minute. You know, I got this stuff. And the problem is, you know, at the end of the flight, you assemble all your stuff. You kind of hold it on your lap and then you get your bag and you're trying to you know, manage these four different things and put it all in. And I thought, wait a minute. Why don't I get like a little travel bag, like a small little pouch that, that zips up and I'll put all these things in that. So that when I get to my seat, I just reach into my laptop bag. I grab this one pouch. I throw it on my seat. Up it goes. And then at the end of the flight, I put all the stuff back in and I'm ready to go. And it's one thing that I just have to deal with. So that's my that's my tip that I share to you. And I know, of course, many of you may already do this, but uh, figured I'd throw it out there because it certainly makes things easier for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got anything to add there, John? you no, I'm a one bag check-in type of guy, and then I bring a computer bag and uh, also a smaller bag with uh, my camera, my iPod, my phone. Um, okay, stuff like that, and and I use the uh, like during this trip, I I brought some uh, Pinky and the Brain um, DVDs with me to oh, entertain cool. me during the flight. Yeah, you're you're a laptop at the seat kind of guy, huh? Yeah, most planes, you know, sometimes I may have to put it at an angle. Um, actually, my first flight, I was able to get it on the tray table, and it was able to open fully. It was a uh, 757, I think. And then, yeah, those were big enough. And then I think another flight I had, an A320, that was a little cramped. Um, okay. Uh, but fortunately, most people are considerate. And I only had one flight that was recent where uh, it was people from uh, out of the country, and uh, they were under the impression that, that they were entitled to fully extend their seat all the way back. They which, are. Uh, everyone on the plane is entitled are, which to you fully are. extend the seat. No question yeah. about it. I have no problem with that. It's the yeah, way it I is. Do. <laughs> it's the way it is. You can extend yours. The guy in front of you can extend his. It's just how it goes. Uh, but if, they, if you want to, um, something that I use that I travel with is called the Aviator Laptop, laptop Stand from Keynamics.com. And uh, it's a little thing. It, it folds flat. It 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 uh, it's very portable and, and travelable. But uh, you can put it on your tray table, and it actually hangs off the front of it, so you can get your laptop there. Uh, and the tray, ta- you know, the seat can be fully back, and and you're still totally fine. And it actually puts it at a better angle for your uh, for your hands. So I think it's pretty cool. I use it uh, if I am going to use a laptop on the plane. That's what I use. It's also fun. And it's also not fun, but but good in hotel rooms too because. A lot of times on those desks, it's not the not the right height for the laptop, and this thing makes a difference. So. All right. We talked about how to contact us. iPhonealley.com is Michael Johnston's home when he uh, is not here converting to AAC for us and for all of you. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth. Podcast Marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones.com. PDF pen from smileonmymac.com, notebook from Circus Ponies, and gotoassist.com slash gab for GoToAssist Express from Citrix. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And that gets us out of here. Think so? I don't think you're entitled to go all the way back. Totally. Absolutely go all the way back. Do it all the time. 
And I have no problem if anybody else does. Yeah, but if everybody does it, it just cascades and it's just a mess. Yeah, but then you get caught, right? Don't get caught. Made up.